This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 14, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Dozens of police cameras have been operating in the District of Columbia for more than a year, following cities like London, Baltimore, Chicago, and New York, with cameras meant to catch criminals in the act. But where does effective police work stop and tracking law-abiding citizens begin? Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, weighs in. This from the Washington Post. D.C. police are now watching live images from dozens of surveillance cameras posted in high-crime parts of the city, hoping to respond faster to shootings, robberies, and other offenses and catch suspects before they get away. Since August 2006, the city has installed 73 cameras across the city, mostly on utility poles at a cost of about $4 million. But until recently, officers were using them mainly as investigative tools, checking the recordings after crimes were committed in hopes of turning up leads and evidence. Police Chief Kathy Lanier said she thought the department wasn't making the most of the technology and was missing opportunities to more quickly solve crimes or even stop them in progress. I thought, quote, why the heck aren't we watching them, Lanier said. Cameras are obviously in a a lot of use in the U.K., and more and more in U.S. cities and in New York City, for example, they've talked of replicating the U.K. experience. And the assumption, the wide assumption, is that this is an effective law enforcement tool. And studies in the U.K. have not found this to be the case, and logic helps bear that out. Um, frankly, you can, from the presence of cameras, you can get forensic information. You can find out after the fact what happened. But as far as crime suppression... It's probably not very effective to use cameras because people on the ground in locations that are subject to this surveillance will discover whether or not the cameras are actually being used, putting law enforcement officers at, behind you know, several screens uh, is not likely to work very well because they will get bored. They'll look at things that uh, aren't related to crime. Um, you'll find stories that where they actually miss crimes in progress because they literally it's just, it's just not, uh, it's not part of the, the human functioning to sit and watch places for hours and hours on end. So it's unlikely that you'll get a lot of uh, crime suppression uh, from these cameras. They, they have some use as a, uh, uh, as a forensic tool, but uh, it's doubtful that actually they'll work very well to prevent crime. What is their argument for? They maintain in the face of some evidence that this is an effective tool. Well, cameras, like most surveillance tools have a sort of deceptive quality to them. If you, you, can, you can see a crime on camera after the fact, uh, you, you, almost, you almost think automatically, well, then we could have prevented the crime. But just because you pick up evidence of it while it's happening, it doesn't mean you were, it put you in a position to prevent, to prevent the crime in the first place. Uh, again, people will discover that cameras are not being watched or they will shift their, their activities from some place that's observed by cameras to some place that's not. So you might be able to, to push crime around like you do uh, chips on a poker table, but that doesn't mean that you're going to suppress the overall level of crime. One of the things that, that's very effective in on-the-beat policing is its randomness. Uh, if, there is, if there are patrols in a, in a sector of a city, you'll find that, that the bad guys don't know when the patrol is going to arrive on their block, where exactly there will be. Of course, patrols on the streets also are able to pick up intelligence. I don't mean anything fancy. I mean talking to people on the block to find out who's doing what, where the bad, where the bad guys hang out, and where they're thinking of going next. 
There's also a related point to this, and that's that uh, uh, the, the question of legitimacy. Cameras, in red light cameras, and, and these types of surveillance cameras are very remote in terms of their relationship to, to the community. Law enforcement personnel who walk a beat or ride a bike through a beat, and even to a lesser extent who drive a beat, they have a relationship with the people in the community. And that's a much more effective use of the law enforcement personnel because they have a brain. They're not just supposed to sit there at a monitor. If they're out there talking to people and learning about the, the city, learning the, the way people are thinking on the street, they're going to be better at their jobs. Um, using cameras from a remote location to try to police people is really an illegitimate way of, 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 of doing law enforcement. And you'll find that the community is even more uh, uh, alienated as against the, the police as when you have people who walk the street and get to know the people. Not treating cameras as a replacement for basic on-the-street police work, it does make a certain kind of sense to have several cameras around an area with relatively few people looking at several different parts of the city at once. It makes some sense, and maybe there's a small margin of benefit from it. But for the most part, people staring at cameras are going to be incredibly bored. Uh, you can't train a human to stare at cameras for, for at, at camera images for hours a day and actually focus on it, actually pay attention to what's happening. It's just, uh, it's just not going to work. Again, cameras can pick up evidence after the fact, uh, but most likely what we'll get from, from the deployment of cameras throughout uh, D.C. is we'll get footage of crimes taking place and we'll wonder why the police didn't see it even though they were supposed to be sitting there watching the cameras at the, that very moment. Another dimension of this problem that's important to consider is that these cameras in the future, maybe a decade from now, maybe a little bit, a little bit longer, a little bit sooner, will be able to track who it is that they're seeing. Facial recognition technology will develop to a point where these cameras will know who they're watching. And that will be a way to track all the people who travel in the city and their movements. And we'll have a mass surveillance system in place that, that while, ha while it has some anti-crime benefit, has a great deal of, of privacy consequences. And even before we get to that point, we should talk about data destruction policies. How long is information that's collected by camera kept? If it's not used for a current investigation, why shouldn't it be destroyed, literally destroyed, so that there are no copies of this information? Otherwise, we're transferring a lot of information about the movements of law-abiding citizens to the government for use in ways that the government will discover. And so per, for the preservation of privacy and for the liberties of the law-abiding citizens, we should talk about data destruction policies now, even before facial recognition technology is useful. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of the book Identity Crisis, which you can purchase at our website, cato.org.